My name is JD. I grew up in a military family, but I was a typical boy into sports. Eventually, grabbed hold of music. That was my main focus. And I wanted to be the best guitar player in the world. So I focused on music and playing music and um, didn't really have much of a spiritual life whatsoever. Dad and my mom, they, at a certain point, they thought that maybe I was taking the music too far and took me to church, uh, I think more so to fix me. They, they were doing what they thought was best, but they weren't necessarily Christians themselves. Eventually, one day, uh, I met, which would be my future wife, Sarah. Two years later, after meeting her, uh, we got married. From there, I continued the music career. Uh, I put a lot of focus into music still. I do feel like all the while, God was kind of giving me hints that this is not the plan that he necessarily had for me. I ignored those signs and kept going and kept going. Eventually, one day, I did receive a record contract, and I believe God really put me in a position where I needed to choose God and family or my music career and so I chose my family because I, and I think God knew that so after the music career collapsed I started to get convicted about the sin and the life that I'd lived before I knew that if it came out that it would upset everybody well after years of uh, resisting this conviction I confessed my sins and it did collapse my family and I was devastated. My wife and I separated for some time. It brought me to the lowest point of my life. But one day, someone decided to say, hey, you wanna to come to church with me? I said, sure, I'll, I'll go and I'll listen. I can never be those Christians. I can never live that, that life. I'm not one of those people who goes to those churches, but I will listen to it to see what I can get out of it. And whenever I went to church, I was just overwhelmed by God's grace and his mercy. He, be, he came into my heart that day and came into my life and said, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the lies that you told. I'm here and I love you and you're my son. And I just broke down and cried. I had the snot, I had the tears, it was all there. This was me feeling freedom for the first time. And I gave my life to Jesus. It did seem too good to be true, but it was true that he loved me and I was a child of God. It was overwhelming. What could I say? <laughs> Now, come on. Now, come on. Let's give it up for the Lord today. Come on now. Let's give it up for the Lord today. He's worthy. He's worthy. Amen. That's Brother J.D. right over there. Appreciate him so much. Well, happy Resurrection Easter Sunday morning. Are you glad to be here today? I can tell. I don't know about you guys. How many of you guys, when you were kids, we were talking about this. Some of the some of us friends on staff were talking the other day about this. How many of you guys had the tradition when you were kids of having like an Easter basket in your house? Anybody? 
Man, a lot of you guys did. So, so the thing is, like on Sunday morning, you get up and there's like an Easter basket uh, waiting for you and you're trying to find it. That's kind of an exciting time. And it's an exciting time for kids. And, and uh, I remember those, those days uh, as a little guy. I just happened to, um, and we got a photo booth, in fact, out there in the atrium uh, for you to take photos. But I was thinking about, we were talking about that Easter basket thing and happened to be looking through some old photos and uh, things have come a long way as far as uh, what we can do. I think we got a picture of, of uh, me and my sister when we... we uh, uh, yeah, that's... So, you can see my, my, my sister looks pretty traumatized. I, she's, she's, been, she's, been, she's been kind of frightened of uh, bunnies ever since. But actually, okay, let, let, me, let, me, t- let me say something. Let, let me say something. That's that's not really me and my sister. I found that photo, and I just thought, yeah, no, I kind of wish it was, actually, but found that photo and thought that would be kind of a funny little thing to start off with today. But here's the thing. We do want to talk about life change, and that's what J.D. on on that video testimony was talking about, the the opportunity to be a new person, life change. Let me tell you something. It's a powerful thing. To think about the fact that we... All of us here today, if you know the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. You were in darkness, you were lost, you didn't know the love of Jesus, you didn't know about life change, you didn't know about what could be. It does seem too too good to be true. But let me tell you something, let me declare the truth of the word of God today. This is what happened. This is what happened because of love, because of the love of a savior king who for us, was willing to come down and walk among us and to take on flesh. Let's look at what it says in John chapter one, verses one through four. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. And in verse 14, here it is. Check this out. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. And what does that mean? That simply means this, and it's very powerful, that our savior, the one who created all that we know, He was willing to come down and enter into humankind to take on humanity, to take on flesh and blood and to feel the kind of pain that you feel, to feel the kind of sorrow that you feel, to feel the kind of loneliness that you feel. And in fact, you may be here today and you may be experiencing that kind of loneliness. You may be experiencing pain. You may be confused as to where life, where the path of life has brought you. But let me declare to you today with great confidence the truth that it's not too good to be true. We have a risen king who has come to change everything. He's come to change everything. Come to change everything. And I'd like to illustrate this point with a quick little story that started back It happened in 2010, and many of you may know about this. Do you remember in Chile, the mine that collapsed? 
You remember that? In 2010, there was a massive mine collapse that trapped 33 miners. And they did not know whether or not they were alive. They didn't know if they were down there somewhere alive or not. They were, this is hard to comprehend. They were a half a mile beneath the ground in the darkness. And this became the most watched television coverage situation in the history of television. It's estimated that over a billion people, look at all of the reporters that are there. It's reported that over a billion people watch this on television. So here's what happened. For 16 days, these men did not know whether or not anybody even knew they were alive. They were desperate. Day after day after day after day went by, and then they began to hear something. They began to hear the deafening sound of drills trying to probe into the darkness, trying to come down to where they were at. Do you see the, you see the correlation? Trying to get to the depths of the dark despair of where they were at. And it went on day after day after day. And one of the, one of the men that was there after, after this whole thing was over, he, he's told, he told a reporter, he said, at one time I heard the drill and it came within just a couple of feet. It came just within a couple of feet of us. And we thought we were saved. We thought we had hope. They were, they were withering away. They were starving to death. It was hot. It was humid. It was dark. And then it disappeared and it was gone. But then they heard something again. And this time, finally, breaking into the darkness of their despair, breaking into the darkness of their captivity, became a light. A ray of light came in. And the drill came through. Can you, can you imagine what that must have felt like? After 14 days of your worst fear. And so what they did was they spray painted, they, they quickly grabbed a can of spray paint and they spray painted on the end of it red. And they attached this note. They made sure it was on there. And this is what it says. We are fine in the refuge, the 33. We are fine in the refuge, the 33. Can you imagine the elation? the hope that was instilled within them. We're found, we're found. And we just think about it a little earlier. Jesus left the 99 to go after you. And if you're here today and you feel like you're in darkness and you feel like you're surrounded with blackness and despair and hopelessness, let me declare to you today that we have a savior who took on flesh and blood. And that empty tomb, that empty grave that we proclaim boldly today with joy, we sing about it. That Savior is willing to do what this story represents. He's willing to enter the darkest place of your life. No matter how bad you've messed up, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter where you are today, there's a Savior who loves you. You know why this happened? You know why there was such effort? These men were rescued in this little capsule that they finally got down there and they pulled them out one at a time. It was a a 20 minute transport in, in darkness. But Jesus is the representation of this event that took place. 
He's willing to go into the deepest, darkest place of your life. In the book of Romans, there's a passage of scripture that says that God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ladies and gentlemen, let me make an appeal to you from my heart today. Let me try to explain to you that the the Father loves you so much that you don't have to fix yourself right now. I talk to people all the time. Well, I'm going to get some things together and then I'm going to get right with God. No, that's what, this is when Jesus, this is why Jesus came is to meet you in the condition that you're in right now. He's willing to meet you in the condition that you're in right now. And he wants to give you new life. He wants to change everything. And I'll wrap this little segment up. Why? Why would God do this? Because in John chapter three, verse 16, we all know it. For God so loved. Oh, if we could just wrap our minds around the fact, God so loves. Let's make it personal. God so loves you. Ma'am, sir, young person, God so loves you that he stopped at nothing. He sent his son into the darkness of a tomb so that you can have new life and change. Amen. Can we give God praise one more time? My name is Sarah. Um, As a child growing up, I did not grow up in a home that was very religious. I sought a lot of different religions, Wiccan, Buddhism, everything. The whole Christian thing didn't seem like it was definitely for me. It really seemed like, um, I don't know, that's just what the norm was going with. As I hit teen years, it was all about everything rebellious, drugs and alcohol and rock and roll and everything you weren't supposed to be involved in. Um, I did get pregnant at 15 and became a mom. I continued to just go to school and graduate and you know work real hard and take care of my son. But I met my husband at 18 and um, he was bona fide rock star. <laughs> um, so we were married by 20, had a child of our own. Um, you know, we were trying to raise a family, but also, you know, he was a rock star and I was trying to support his rock star lifestyle. And one day he decided um, after getting a record contract that he was going to um, Uh, not go with the record contract. I decided to support him in that because I had supported him in everything else. After after quitting music, we decided, both of us put all of our focus on the family and the kids at that point in time. So about a year after, he comes to me uh, with a complete bomb and just confesses everything that had happened over the years. um, That he confessed adultery and everything and I had to swallow that pill. At first, I thought it was going to be great. I was like, no, it's okay. We'll make it through this. We've made it through so much. It's no big deal. But then as time went on, I started to grow bitter. I was so angry and bitter that I could, I mean, my life literally was falling apart for me at that point in time. Um, After a year of being bitter, you know, I did leave him. I was completely miserable for that six months. (laughs) It was the worst six months of my life. I remember getting this book, just trying to be a better mom. I got this book, and I didn't know who the author was, but she was a Christian author. 
And um, she, uh, the one big takeaway I took from the book was that um, our husbands are also just somebody else's son. And at that point in time, I started to think of everything my son had, or my husband had done. And uh, forgiveness just completely came over my heart. So I went back to him and told him that I loved him and I wanted to work it out. Um, he had joined the military while we were separated. So um, we got back together, sent him off to basic training, and we reunited again in California. He decided that we should try and find a church because he had been going to church while we were separated. Um, I agreed and I found a pastor who knew all the facts and was giving them to me, but for some reason the facts did not matter in that sermon. The pastor spoke the name of Jesus over me, completely knocked down the walls around my heart. The Holy Spirit just came into my heart. Uh, Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and God was real, Jesus was real, and there was no disputing it. I completely broke into tears. It had everything to do with Jesus. Amen, amen. What a powerful name, the name of Jesus, amen. You know, we're talking today about uh, it's too good to be true. And uh, sometimes the gospel can feel like it is too good to be true, but it's not. It's actually the best news out there. In fact, uh, Jesus said in Mark 1, 15, this is the words of Jesus. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Some translations say repent and believe the gospel. The gospel and good news, those words are interchangeable because the gospel is the best news we'll ever get as human beings, amen? But you know, there's something in us as humans that causes us to be skeptical when we hear news that's, that's really, really good. Uh, Sometimes, you know, you've heard the saying, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. We've heard that over and over in our lives. And it's, a lot of it's from history because a lot of us have experienced that where there was some news that was supposedly so great you know, that, that it was just going to change our life. And then we found out later it wasn't like, you know, like unlimited data with your cell phone coverage. We all know that's a scam, right? And uh, in fact, I remember uh, not too long ago, I was at a mall in, in Ohio and they had a, a card in the middle of the mall there. And they said, you know, fill out this slip for a free to, to enter this drawing for this car. And so I filled it out. I thought, why not? You know, and I'm putting information down there thinking, oh man, this is a mistake, but I did it anyway. And sure enough, about a month later, I get a phone call. Uh, did you enter a, a drawing in a mall in Canton, Ohio for a car? And I said, yes, I did. He said, well, I would like to congratulate you. You and your family have won a, an all-expense-paid three-day trip to somewhere in Mexico, I think. I don't even know where. Because as soon as he said that, he lost me, you know, because I said, oh, my goodness, here we go. And I said, no, thank you. I really don't want that. And, and he said, well, sir, can I ask you why you don't want this free vacation? And I said, because I can't afford your free vacation. <laughs> I, I've lived long enough to know that uh, there, this is not free. And uh, you got my information, now you're going to bug me. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy for us to be skeptical when we get really, really good news. And, you know, there's times we get really good news and, uh, and, and we even have that remorse the next day when, when something really good happens to us, we can have that remorse. In fact, when you buy a car, they call it buyer's remorse. You know, you're really excited the day you drive it off the lot. And then the next day you go into depression because you realize that the bill is going to come in the mail. And, uh, and, and so we can, have, we can have second thoughts even about good news. Um, in fact, I'll share a quick example of that. When, when my wife, Joy, and I were, before we were a couple, we were on a team that was traveling throughout Florida and, and New Mexico and places like that, Texas, uh, promoting missions and recruiting for the missions organization we were part of. And uh, by the end of this 10-week trip, I realized that I liked her a lot. Uh, too much not to say something. And so I mustered up the strength and, 
and I cornered her in a Sunday school classroom in a church in, in, North, or in uh, New Mexico and told her how I felt. And I was terrified, you know, and, and to my shock and amazement, she actually said that she felt the same way. And I was so excited. I remember that night, my emotions could not have been higher. I was so excited, so ecstatic. And then we went to bed that night. The next day I woke up and we had a travel day that day. We were in the van. And I remember driving thinking, oh man, I wonder if she really meant what she said. Oh, I, I, you know what? I, I really caught her by surprise. She, she's really nice. Maybe she was just being nice to me and she felt sorry for me. And I started to have all these second thoughts about it, you know? And, and uh, it, you know, jumping forward 18 years, she's felt sorry for me for 18 years, but she's been in my life. So, um, so I'm thankful she's there. But, but you know, if, if for you, if you have a hard time believing the gospel, the, the good news of the gospel, that it really is what the Bible says it is, then you're actually in good company. Because, you know, the disciples, the guys that walked with Jesus on, during his earthly ministry had a hard time with it too. Uh, in Luke 24, we see that, you know, Jesus, after he was crucified and he rose from the dead and he's walking among the people, it says that he showed up with the disciples one day and the disciples were terrified. It says they thought he was a ghost. And Jesus actually told them, he said, listen, I'm not a ghost. Ghosts don't have flesh and blood. He said, look at my hands, touch me. You can see that I'm real. And their response in verse 41, it says, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They still didn't believe even though they saw him and he had told them that he was going to be doing this. They were so, they were so taken off guard by what happened and they were so excited, but they refused to believe it because it just seemed too good to be true. And frankly, you know, intellectually, the gospel doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense to us. And for, you know, for three days, for these guys, these disciples, it, did, it, it didn't happen either. You know, they were just... They were despondent. They were downcast. They were de- devastated because they thought Jesus was going to come and take his place as the king of the Jews. And it turns out now he's dead. And so for three days, their dreams were crushed. And intellectually, this didn't make sense to them. In their mind, they couldn't understand what was going on. And I think that's, that's in all of us as human beings. We want to uh, get what we earn. For the most part, we want to earn what we get. We don't necessarily like things handed to us. I mean, yeah, sure, if somebody's going to give me something for free, I'm going to take it. But as a lifestyle, we want to earn what we get. And, you know, I've said this many times. I grew up in a, in a traditional church. It was a good Christian church, but it, we were more about rules and do's and don'ts than we were about anything else. And uh, the, the, the danger of that is you can get in that comfort zone where you actually start to feel kind of good about yourself because you're, you're not cussing. You're not drinking and smoking and getting drunk, and you're not partying. You're not sleeping around. So you start thinking, oh, I'm actually a pretty good person. But yet there's still something inside you that, that you know you're not measuring up. But you could get in that comfort zone of feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. That, that's why God loves me. I'm working hard to show him how much I love him. And then I'll, I'll never forget in my early 20s, I read a book that was all about grace. And it was the first time I really heard grace put in this way. And it said that you will never do enough to be a good Christian. You can never do it. So you can just stop trying. Because the gift of God is his grace that he wants to give you. It's that no, none of us deserve it. None of us are good enough for it but he wants to give it to you as a free gift. He did all the work for us. He paid the price. He, he canceled out a debt that we could never pay back. And he's asking us to come and receive it. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think some of you here today, you know, some of you, 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 may, not, you may not come to church regularly. You may be here today. It's Easter. You're here because your mom asked you to come and you just feel like you're just going to get through this service. And, you know, this Christian thing's really not for me. I, I just, I'm not a good enough person. I've done too many things in my past. And, you know, I just don't, I just can't live like that. And, uh, and I don't think God could ever really love me. Well, you are not alone. We all, none of us are good enough. None of us have done enough great things in our life to earn the favor and the love of God. None of us. And it doesn't matter how much we try. Even when I was living that life of trying to do my best on the outside, on the inside, I was still having those horrible thoughts. I had 
I had the thoughts in my head that, that I would never want anybody to know about. I had the feelings in my heart that I never wanted anybody to know about. In fact, you can look at Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 13. Listen to what he says here. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's a scary verse. He's saying it doesn't matter what you do, what you think, what you say, what you feel. God knows it. It's all laid out on the table for him no matter what, no matter how hard you try to hide it. But the beauty of this chapter in Hebrews 4 is that he goes on to say that Jesus is our high priest that sympathizes with us because as Pastor Steve said, he came to earth in the form of a man so that he could sympathize with us and understand what we're going through. And so he eventually says in verse 16, listen to this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What a beautiful, beautiful promise from God. Not only does is everything laid bare before him that he knows everything, on top of that, he says, but you can still come boldly to my throne. You don't have to come crawling with your hat in your hand. You can come boldly to my throne because my throne is full of grace for you. If you will come and you will say, God, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this favor, this love that you're giving me, but I'm coming because I know what Jesus did was enough to pay for everything I've ever done. And I'm going to receive that grace and that love that you have for me. We can have that full assurance of salvation in our lives today, church, every single one of us. And it is not based on what you've done. Now, I will say, you know, Jesus said in in that first verse I mentioned, he said that the kingdom of God is near. He says, repent and believe the good news. When we believe the good news and we receive that salvation, it doesn't mean we continue in that lifestyle of just ignoring God. We still have to turn. Repent means to turn the other way. We're turning away from that life. We're turning away from our sin and we're giving our life to him. And see, every religion that is created by man, it has, it has an aspect of it where human works, are, the, the efforts we make are what get, put us in right standing with God. And that's because that is human nature. We, even, in, even in Christendom, we, we want to show God, we want to work hard for him to show him how much we love him. And it's okay to do good things for God, but that's not what gives us our merits. It's not what gives us our right standing with him. But every religion created by man does that because that's our nature. But the gospel... You know, by the way, that the religion that God created, amen, that, that one tells us that we are saved by his grace because of what he did for us, because of the fact that he came and lived a sinless life. He died on a cross, a, a torturous, horrible death on a cross, went in the grave, came out three days later, and he's victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And that's a wonderful thing. In fact, the Bible says that in, in Romans 5 that while we were still sinners, Pastor Steve mentioned that verse, While we were still sinners, he died for us. He says, it also says that while we were powerless, we were powerless to do this on our own. In fact, the gospel tells us that the only way you can really receive the gospel, to receive the truth of God, this truth that is is too good to be true almost, the only way that we can receive it is by us coming to him saying, I can't do it on my own. I can't do it. As long as you try to do it in your own strength, God says, you're not ready. You got to come to me with with arms out and on your knees and knowing I can't do this. I can never be good enough for you, God. That's when God says, now my grace is there for you. I'm pouring it out. And you can receive the love that I have for you. And it's an exciting thing. And the reason we can trust the gospel, even though it sounds too good to be true, is because when you know the heart of God, it totally makes sense. Because see, God is ex- our God is actually the one that created us. You know, Psalms 139, David says that you knit me together in my mother's womb. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He made us, he created us. He wanted, he wants to be our father. That's his desire for us. But sin came into the world and it separated us from him. There's nothing we've even done. We're born into sin. None of us is good enough to be able to be in right standing with God. And so God knew that he had to, he had to come and make the way for us to provide that way to cancel, to pay that debt that we could not pay on our own. 
See, culture tells us the reason we're skeptical when somebody calls you and says, hey, you've won a trip for four to Cancun, Mexico. You don't trust it because you know ultimately the seller wants to get this hand in your pocket. He wants to get something from you. Nothing, nothing's free in this life. He wants your money, and he's going to tell you what he has to tell you to get the money from you, and even to the point of putting you in debt. You know, uh, so, somebody might try to sell you a car and say, this is the greatest car ever. You're going to be so thankful you bought it. I'm going to knock $20,000 off of it, and you're going to be so excited, but it's going to put you $40,000 in debt. And that guy is gone two months later when that first bill comes, and he doesn't care, right? And so the seller is often willing to put us in debt. The beauty of the gospel, man, this is so great. The beauty of the gospel is that God doesn't come to us as the seller and say, hey, I want you to buy this. Buy salvation. If you do this, you'll never regret it. It's going to be a great thing. He's, he's not trying to put us in debt. He's coming to us saying, listen, you already have a mountain full of debt. You have more debt than you could pay in a thousand lifetimes. But you're in luck. Today's your lucky day, son. It is your lucky day. It's a holiday weekend, and we have the, I have the greatest sale ever. I'm going to take care of all of your debt. I'm going to take it all. I'm going to wipe it away. You're going to have a clean slate. I paid the debt. I paid the, the, the price to make you clean, to make all that go away. All you got to do is come and give your life to me, give your heart to me, receive my love, and live your life for me, and you'll be in my kingdom forever. Now, that's praiseworthy to me, amen? Amen. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 to 56, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death in our life is sin. But by, with salvation, what Jesus did for us, that sting is taken away. We are victors in life and in death. And that is a powerful, powerful thing. I'm so thankful that the power of God took the sting out of death for each and every one of us that will believe in him. Amen? Amen. We serve a really, really good God. And I hope today that if you've never received his love into your heart, today is the day for you. I believe that for you. God bless you. Years, My wife and I are back together. Um, and we, our marriage is renewed and restored. Um, stronger than it ever has. This sounds kind of I It does seem too good to be true. Mm-hmm. I just think to myself... I, I don't deserve that. And I kind of get scared in my heart a little bit. I have a little bit of fear, but the Lord just reassures me, whether it's through scripture or it's through the church body or it's through my wife, um, encouraging me that everything's going to be okay. And to take that leap of faith and step out. And, and so that way he can show me that he loves me because it takes me stepping out in faith for him to have the opportunity to show us that he loves us and cares for us and will be there to guide us. Um, the Lord did completely knock down our old life and rebuilt it from the ground up. And we are living a completely different life and lifestyle than I ever even imagined. I tell JD all the time, honestly, how um, I literally, we literally are living a better life than I ever even dreamed for myself. And it hasn't been perfect. Just a few months after being saved, my, um, my mom committed suicide. And I really feel like that was, um, I was very new in my faith for whatever reason, instead of getting caught up in my hurt, I just turned to God and I just reached my arms out for him and begged for him to help me with that. And 
I truly felt a sense of peace come over me when I, when I turned my eyes to the Lord in that situation. I truly felt like the Lord was cradling me and comforting me and holding me and I felt complete peace in that situation. It's only been four years, but there's a lot of, you know, it's not perfect, but it's, it's amazing. So maybe you might be thinking that um, this, you know, forgiveness and Jesus and the Lord is too good to be true, but I'm here as a testimony and my husband is here as a testimony to say that um, it is real. God's love is so real and it is not too good to be true. He loves us with all his heart and he wants us to come home to him um, as his children and uh and just share his grace and his love with us. Amen. 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 What a great testimony. And that's what it's all about. That's what we celebrate today. The fact that God came, as Pastor Steve told us a while ago, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came to this world and paid the price. Pastor Reagan shared with you the gospel, the good news, the story that Jesus took our place, that he paid the debt that we owed, the debt we could not pay. We, we just couldn't. If we could live a thousand lifetimes, we couldn't pay that debt. Thank the Lord that this story that seems too good to be true is really true. There are 322 prophecies in this Bible that give details about the coming of Jesus Christ, written over a period of hundreds, in fact, thousands of years. God spoke to prophets hundreds of years apart and gave them detailed information about the coming of Jesus Christ so that we could test this and know that it's really true. When they've tried to figure out the equation on the possibility of all of those prophecies, 322 of them, being fulfilled to the letter exactly as it was given, the exact time, the exact place, the exact everything. Jesus dotted every I and crossed every T, folks. They came up with a number that... I don't even know a word for it. It's one over 84 with a hundred zeros behind it. That's how likely that all of those things could have just happened. Folks, they didn't just happen. God, on purpose, brought us the plan of salvation. Several years ago, um, an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He spent hundreds of hours. He traveled all over the world gathering information, researching, studying. He was, he was an atheist and he was going to disprove the resurrection because his wife had started going to church and, and he wanted to show her absolute proof that her religion was false. And the same thing happened to Lee Strobel that has happened to so many others who have set out on that same quest. At the end of his journey, 
he was faced with over 5,000 irrefutable facts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus arose. And now I've come to give you the good, good news today. And that is that he's coming again. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This same Jesus is coming again. After his resurrection, he spent 40 days visiting with his disciples, visiting with other friends. And finally, near the end of those, that, those 40 days, he began to gather his followers. And his last day seen here among us, over 500 of them followed him out of Jerusalem towards the east to the Mount of Olives, overlooking Bethany to the east and Jerusalem to the west. And he gave them his final words. And then let me just read it. Luke chapter 24, verses 50 to 53. Then he led them out of the city as far as Bethany, where he raised his hands and blessed them. As he was blessing them, he departed from them and was taken up into heaven. They worshiped him and went back into Jerusalem filled with great joy, spent their time in the temple giving thanks to God. In Acts chapter 1, we have another account of the ascension, verses 10 and 11. They still had their eyes fixed on the sky as he went away. When two men dressed in white suddenly stood beside them and said, Galileans, why are you standing there looking up at the sky? This Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Folks, those 322 promises or prophecies about his first coming that were fulfilled, dotting every I and crossing every T, fulfilled in detailed precision. There are even more than 322 that tell us he's coming again. And I believe if he could defy all odds with his first coming, I am confident that his second coming is very near because many of those prophecies are already coming to pass. Amen. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. The gospel of Jesus was not presented in secret. In fact, when Jesus hung on that old rugged cross, he hung between heaven and earth. He hung between two thieves. He hung there after a severe beating in Pilate's judgment hall. After being spat upon and pummeled by the fist of the Roman soldiers until his head began to swell, until it was twice its normal size and his visage was so marred, Isaiah said that it was unrecognizable, more marred than any man. He hung there naked with bleeding hands and bleeding feet and a bleeding side and a bleeding back 
and a bleeding face where they jerked the beard from his face and left nothing but a bloody stubble of a chin. He hung there openly. This wasn't done in secret. It was done openly. He was buried in a tomb that everybody knew about. It was given to him by Joseph of Arimathea. It was a well-recognized place. His resurrection was not something secretive. When God performed that great miracle by shaking the earth and removing that sealed stone, it wasn't just to let Jesus out, but it was to let others in to prove that he was not there. And just in case there was any question, he sent an angel into that tomb to say, <laughs> come on in, guys, take a look. He's not here. He is risen, as he said. And then, yes, give him praise today. And then he spent those 40 days walking among them so that they would know without question or doubt that he was alive. And then he went to a very public place and in front of more than 500, he ascended up to heaven. And the angel said, he's coming again, just like you saw him go away. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me for a few moments, will you please, all over the building. I want to ask you a couple of questions. And I want you to answer honestly from your heart. Everyone in the building and in the balconies and those of you that are in the atrium, I'm speaking to you as well. I want to ask you this question. How many of you sitting here this morning, you will say honestly, Pastor, I am not absolutely certain and sure that if I died today or if Jesus came back today that I'm ready to meet him. Would you remember me in the closing prayer? Would you just slip up your hand and put it back down again while every head's bowed and nobody's looking around? Preacher, I'm not absolutely certain today. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Yes, thank you. On this side, anybody? God bless you. I'm not absolutely certain that if Jesus came today that I'm ready to meet him. Now let me ask you another question. How many of you are sitting here this morning and you'll say, Pastor, I, I, I've never really made my profession of faith public. You know, Billy Graham and his great crusades that reached so many multitudes of people, he was always so conscientious to make sure that people understood that we need to publicly recognize him. In fact, let me read to you this scripture from Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Jesus said, those who declare publicly that they belong to me, I will do the same for them before my Father in heaven. But those who reject me publicly, I will reject before my Father in heaven. I want to tell you this morning, the one who died for you and took your sins on the cross, arose from the grave victorious over death, hell, and the grave, he's at the right hand of the Father this morning, ready to recognize you and ready to proclaim you 
ready to make sure that your name is written on the Lamb's book of life, ready to say to the Father, there's another one that I died for. If you're willing to publicly acknowledge him, how many of you, again, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you will say, preacher, I've never really publicly acknowledged Jesus, and I, I'd like to be remembered in this closing prayer as well. Would you just raise your hand? I, I, I haven't made that public. Yes, anybody else? I, any, all over the building? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Now I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. And I'm going to ask you one more question before we pray. How many of you are standing here today and you say, Preacher, I have other needs in my life as well. I need, I need the miraculous power that raised Jesus from the dead to touch me. I've got a physical problem. I need healing. Or I have a financial need. Or I have a, I have a family need. And, but I have a serious need today. Would you just lift your hand and put it back down again all over the building? Okay. Thank you so much. God bless you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Now, if you look this way, we have a number of prayer team members that are here today. They've been praying, and they've been praying for you. And they want to assist you if you need their assistance. They're going to come forward in just a moment. And they're going to be here if you'd like to come and take their hand and say, I'd like to publicly confess Jesus this morning or maybe you'd like to say I want to repent of my sins and ask Jesus in my heart on this Easter morning this is going to be a red letter day for me this is going to be a day that I'm going to be testifying like JD and his wife earlier on the screen this is my day I'm, 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 I'm going to leave new hope this morning with the assurance of my salvation I'm going to know that I know that I know because I'm going to do what he said, and I believe he'll do what he said. If you're willing to do that, if you raise your hand for anything in just a moment, I want you to come forward. I want the prayer team leaders to come quickly, if you will, all across the building. And those of you, begin, those of you that raised your hand, just, just begin to step out. Will you do that? Come on, while, while the prayer team members are coming. Come on, just, just step into that nearest aisle. Preacher, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus this morning. I'm going to publicly, I'm going to walk the aisle this morning, publicly profess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to let somebody agree with me in faith that my, my physical needs will be met. There's healing for my body. If, you, if you're Hispanic, we've got a couple here that speak Spanish that will be glad to minister to you. Whatever, whatever you know, that's right. Come on, from all over the building, from the balcony, come on, from the back, all the way to the front, from the atrium, come on in. Come on in, and, and, and let's, let's just proclaim Jesus Lord today while Pastor Steve leads us in song. Give the Lord praise as these come, will you?